Here we go. West Hills Friends is a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. You can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts. Especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond and dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributor. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Hello again. Found out this morning that David Payton and I were both ready to bring the message. So if uh, I start bombing, you could just start booing, and then David, you take over, okay? I'll get the hook. My name's Mark, um, and uh, I think this week, um, this last week was eight years. Uh, what marked the eight-year anniversary of when I came out for my interview. So, thanks to Facebook memories for reminding me of that, because I don't know if I would have remembered. Um, I'm, I actually have quite a bit of uh, different Bible verses to read this morning, so I didn't bother uh, putting the list in the bulletin. So, um, I will try to give you the reference numbers if you'd like to look it up. The first passages Exodus 19, 16 through 20, and then I'll pick up uh, again on Exodus 32, and Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 4. On the morning of the third day, there were, I like how they say, thunders and lightnings, and a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and he took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. There's a long conversation on the mountain, very, very long. That was Exodus chapter 19. We don't really pick up with the people of God, the Israelites, until chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with, with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, 
These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Okay, Quaker confession time. Sometimes I really miss the Eucharist. Let me tell you why. My first time attending church was when I was about eight years old. It was Easter. And my grandmother brought me to her Lutheran church in Coatesville, Pennsylvania. As we settled into the pews, children not much older than me, dressed in long white robes, made their way down the center aisle. Each of them carrying long golden poles with a tiny flame on the end. I watched in awe as they made their way up the steps to the altar and lit gigantic white candles. Then, later in the service, the same children were invited to the altar and handed golden trays filled with crackers and grape juice. My grandmother told me to stay in my seat as she went forward to get her cracker and cup of juice. Having not gone through confirmation, I was unable to share in this part of the service. I felt left out, but I was intrigued. I remember asking my grandmother about this, and she told me the juice and crackers helped people remember Jesus. I told her I wanted to do all the things those children were doing. Within weeks, I started my confirmation class, and in a few months took my first Holy Communion. We even had a party at my grandmother's house for the occasion. Over the next 15 or so years, I participated in communion in various contexts. When I was with the evangelicals, we observed communion once a month, and we were told that we needed to have confessed all of our known sins before taking it, or we'd be in big trouble. When I was with the Episcopals, I learned that the wine and bread, I learned about the wine and bread, and after having been blessed by the, by the priest, actually the, the wine and bread became the flesh and blood of Jesus. If the priest overestimated the amount of wine to use, he would need to drink the leftovers, which was quite funny to watch. After all, we'd never pour the actual blood of Jesus down a drain into a sewer. During our wedding ceremony, Beth and I served communion to our guests. But you know what? I didn't really have any idea why this ritual was so important to me until I stopped doing it after becoming a Quaker. Up until very recently, I loved it because it felt like I could participate. I was included. It made me feel like I was part of a family. It was really all about me. Now I realize why I miss it. It was a ritual that helped me remember that Jesus is here. It brought something in the clouds down to the ground. I think my attraction to the Eucharist speaks to a longing that many of us who've pursued God have shared, the need for something tangible, alive, real, and embodied. Many of our biblical stories point towards God's people and Jesus' followers missing the point. And while we read those stories as a cautionary tale, we can also read them in an arrogant way. We may, say th we may see things like, can you believe how clueless they were? Or, I'd never do that. 
When I find myself doing this, I realize I need to get in touch with my own humanity and read in those stories our shared humanity. These are my fellow humans trying to figure it all out just like I am. We read in Exodus the account of the Israelites wandering in the desert. The biblical text says that just a few weeks after fleeing Pharaoh and the oppression of the empire of Egypt, the people are growing weary. They're starting to doubt that God is with them and leading them. They are hungry and they are thirsty. They feel lost, angry, and afraid. They make camp in the wilderness of Sinai, and Moses is called up Mount Sinai to meet with God. The text says that the mountain was covered in a thick cloud with lightning and thunder, and Moses was up there for a long time. The Israelites were starting to wonder if Moses disappeared. Maybe he abandoned them. Maybe he died up on the mountain. They were directionless again. And the one person who was actually able to speak to God was now gone. They needed something real. And so they created something with their own hands. They melted down, they melted down their gold and fashioned a calf and began worshiping it. The golden calf story has been rightly used to point out our tendencies towards creating idols. It is a helpful story to remind us that we can sometimes chase things that are not God. But I think it is more than that. The people of God have been wandering in the desert. They are hungry. And some are actually suggesting it was better to be in, e better to be in Egypt. I can imagine there were a lot of, what are we doing and where is God now? Then Moses says, hey, I'm going up to this mountain to hear from God. Y'all wait here. Yes, they were likely impatient. But who of us haven't been impatient waiting for a messenger to return? The people needed something real. They needed something to touch and see with their eyes. They needed an embodied reality of God. And so they created it. Much of the story of the Old Testament is God's people wondering if God is with them. Only certain people are selected to be in God's presence. Just read the complicated structures that were created for the tabernacle and temple to create space between God's presence and the people. And then we get this super complex and strange text at the beginning of the Gospel of John. Ready? It's kind of dizzying. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I can't tell you how many Bible classes in college we wrestled with this passage. 
But the, the part that sticks out to me the most is the word became flesh. I don't know about you, but I am someone who often needs things to be tangible to be able to understand them. I need all the words we say to each other, all the concepts we are taught in school to be real for me to really understand. I need those words to have flesh. I think this is what is so radical and amazing about Jesus. Finally, we are gifted a real person living amongst us in the flesh to show us God. The people of God had been struggling for a long time, wondering about this God person, trusting in the few people who could see and hear from God directly. And now here was Jesus, mysteriously one of them and also God. God became flesh. All the words about God had become a real person, someone we could see and understand, someone we could touch. Now I'm thinking here of poor doubting Thomas, who, was not, who now has the word doubting in front of his name forever. Gosh, I resonate with the doubting nature of Thomas. Let's not be so hard on him. John 20, 26 says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Pretty cool magic trick from Jesus. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Thomas needed to put his hands in the wounds. He needed to feel the flesh. I don't read Jesus saying, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed as a tisk tisk, but rather a woe. Believing without seeing is hard. Those of you who can do it are blessed. I'll admit that my first few years as a Quaker were difficult for me. I was jealous that people so easily received messages from God during open worship. I realized as time went on that I was using my head too much during open worship. I had all kinds of words and thoughts circulating in my brain, which one of them was God. A switch happened for me when I revisited some of our Buddhist friends' thoughts about meditation. A huge part of mindfulness meditation is starting by focusing on the body. We focus on our breath, the feeling of the air coming in and out of our nose. We scan our bodies from our toes to the top of our head. What is hurting? What is tense? What does our breath, muscles, and bones have to tell us? When I've started my time of open worship in this way, it's a, it is amazing how all of a sudden I find myself in a more open landscape. I feel more ready to receive and to discern God's voice in the silence. Open worship has become an embodied experience for me. By paying attention to my flesh and bone, 
the oxygen filling my lungs, I have created the opportunity for the word of God to become real. Over the last few weeks, I've wrestled with the reality of my anxiety. I have become aware of the power of my brain to run wild, creating worst case scenarios and causing inward turmoil. Sorting through this inner chaos to listen to the still small voice within me can be incredibly difficult at times. Finding that voice feels crucial to getting out of cycles of anxiety. It is the voice encouraging me to breathe, to stay calm, to lower my heart rate. In order to access that voice, I need to sit and check in with my body. It starts with my body first. It starts with my breath, feeling the air coming into my nostrils. It's colder when it comes in and warmer when it comes out. I scan my body and pay attention to areas of tension, aches, and pains. I pay attention to my jaw. Is it clenched? What about my shoulders? Are they moving towards my ears or down towards the ground? Before long, the crowd of voices within me becomes hushed. And I am able to listen more deeply. This all happened because I allowed myself to check in with my flesh and bones. The voice of God for me was to be found within my body. When we all do the work of centering down and listening well for the voice of the inward teacher, we also enter into the beautiful mystery of the word becoming flesh. When each of you speak from your experience of God, God becomes more and more real for me. When God speaks through you, God speaks through your story. God speaks through you, and I know you. You are a real person in my life, a person who is experiencing God and speaking from that experience. You are the word becoming flesh. I wonder about our experiences of centering down into worship. What is that experience like for you? If it is difficult for you to listen, have you started with checking in with your body? Have you felt the weight of yourself in the seat? Have you felt the firm ground underneath your feet? A few queries to invite us into open worship. Have you needed something to become tangible in order to help you understand it? How have you needed this type of experience when it comes to God? How does your body factor into your experience of listening to the inward teacher? Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. We're really happy that so many of you are finding it to be helpful and as a way to stay connected with what's going on with us here at West Hills Friends. If you'd like to stay connected with us in other ways, we have a couple options for you. You can check out our website. It's westhillsfriends.org. There you'll find some more information about who we are as a community. You can also follow us on Facebook. We have a Facebook account by just searching for West Hills Friends. 
You can also follow us on Instagram. We have a Instagram account with the name West Hills Friends. So we hope that you'll get connected with us in other ways. And again, thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast.